Welcome to the Pro Cheerleading Podcast. This is the only podcast that gives you a raw and unfiltered perspective of what it's really like to be a professional cheerleader. Whether you're currently on a pro team, an alumni, or really curious about what it takes to become a pro cheerleader, the Pro Cheerleading Podcast gives you all the inside scoop and hot topics in the pro cheerleading industry and in-depth interviews of current and former cheerleaders. I'm your host, Makiba. Join me every Wednesday as I reveal the truth behind the palms. Well, everybody, I'm very excited about this episode. I'd like to welcome Adrienne Lawrence to the Pro Cheerleading Podcast. Adrienne and I had the pleasure of meeting, or I had the pleasure of meeting Adrienne at the panel that we put together for promoting her film, A Woman's Work, The NFL's Cheerleader Problem. You are a moderator for this wonderful panel discussion, and you blew me away, and I was just so nervous to ask you, but I'm glad that you decided to spend some time with us today to talk about misogyny and sexual harassment, especially, you know, in the world of pro cheerleading. So for those of you who don't know, um, Adrian is a legal analyst and host of Overruled for the Young Turks. It's an online news show. She's an anti-racism and anti-sexism educator and consultant, and most recently an author of Staying in the Game, the Playbook for Beating Workplace Sexual Harassment. So Adrian, welcome to the Pro Cheerleading Podcast and thank you so much for joining me this evening. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Well, tell us, Adrian, a little bit about yourself in terms, I mean, I just gave you a short bio, but you are a fellow lawyer. I went, I practiced for eight years, definitely was not a litigator, but tell us a little bit about your, your background. Yeah, that's just about the same amount of time that I practiced. Um, oh, really? Okay. Yep, about eight years. And then I decided I wanted something different, wanted something more. So I, interestingly enough, became a, an on-air legal analyst anchor at ESPN in a program that they were having. And it was interesting in leaving kind of the ivory tower I was in uh, and moving into media. It's a whole different world. But yeah. I think my career really, it really opened up after that. Mm-hmm. So you were working at big law firms and all of that, that path. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we did about the same. Yeah, that's about as much. I went in house at one point, but it's, it was even more crazy than the law firm. <laughs> and so then you ended up going back to school, essentially, to study journalism. Is that right, too? Correct. Um, I got a master's at USC in specialized journalism uh, while I was practicing law. And um, yeah, it was a one-year master's program. Uh, my employer was kind enough to allow me to just essentially go freelance and work uh, my hours and get paid for it. And it was, it was awesome. It was a good year. Oh, and really I, I'm glad good. I had that experience. That's really good. I know after law school, I was like, I mean, I got my MBA while I was in school, but I was just like, that is, I shouldn't shut it out, but it was just kind of like no more school ever again. I'm, I'm good. But that's great, especially if you were able to do it while working and having that count to our wonderful billable hours. I feel like I relate to you on so many levels just because of surviving (laughs) practicing law. Before we get into the book, if you could just kind of walk us through your experience at ESPN and kind of what led to you writing your book. Sure. Um, So I got to ESPN and it's a whole different culture. It's up in a rural area of Connecticut, uh, whereas I moved from Los Angeles, California. And uh, I had always been in an ivory tower of a law firm, of a high level law firm. And so there were things that I just never was exposed to it. And getting to ESPN and seeing how a lot of, I guess, workplaces will operate uh, when it's a very transactional 
type of uh, setup for relationships in addition to also being um, something where it's very subjective and mm -hmm. it's male dominated. And I didn't see it largely the first maybe eight or nine, 10 months I was there. But as I started realizing, you know, cause I just assumed people were, some people were nice to me for whatnot. Some people weren't for others, but then you realize because it's transactional. And then you also realize, well, because there's an element of um, sex that's on the table or just gender harassment, subjugation, and also coming in as an educated black woman who essentially skipped over all of the steps that everyone else had done working in Connecticut, small markets, all these other places. And she went straight, me went straight from a major law firm office to an international anchor desk and was thriving and doing exceptionally well. Uh, mm -hmm. it, it was, it really created and fueled the habitat of people wanting to subjugate you. And sexual harassment was a main channel for doing that. Uh, and I think a lot of people don't understand what sexual harassment really looks like because I did not myself. Even when mm -hmm. you go through those janky trainings uh, at your workplace, <laughs> that does not do it justice. Um, and it shows up in various ways. And so I ended up having a number of experiences and a lot of people told me about their experiences. And then I had spoken up about someone who had ulterior motives and... I uh, ended up in a position where I lost my job, so to speak. And then uh, I was in a position to fight. And because mm -hmm. no one else would fight, uh, which was a very sad thing, um, I went ahead and just did it. Well, let's talk about that because I, like I said, when I was reading your book, I definitely could relate to so many aspects of having anything to do with sports. And I mean, as a professional cheerleader, that's a, that was something way later for me. But when I was in college um, doing internships, um, I was at Georgetown doing internships with different sports management companies, a law firm. And I definitely saw, I think, a lot of things that it sounds like you were using as examples in your book, not happening to me directly, but definitely to others. And it was a clear indication, at least to me, that unless I was willing to play along with that game, that I wasn't going to get a lot of opportunities. I mean, that was like my last internship. I'm overhearing mm -hmm. one of the other interns who is, you know, I'm a, an undergrad, but she's in her master's program trying to get the right experience to leverage, but was being sexually harassed. And she was trying to just deal with it so she can get what she needed from the internship. And I was just like, I can't with this. Like, it's just, you know, again, so much that I could relate to in that. And it's tough if you talk to other people and you know that it's certain things are going on. So you're not the only one, but nobody's mm -hmm. willing to say anything or do anything. Where did you find that strength from to fight? I have always had a very, a very strong sense of morals, ethics, principles. I know the mm -hmm. difference between right and wrong. Also being an attorney and at some point, essentially putting on my litigator hat, I, I knew I had sufficient evidence. I knew I could state a case. I knew that it would be difficult and hard, but honestly, it was left without, without a choice, um, yeah. you know, because these people have the mentality of, well, we're the only ones. Uh, we run the sports market for broadcast media. Everyone has come from here or come through here, and mm -hmm. we're going to blacklist you. And yes, a lot of doors will be closed. And so the fact is, okay, cool. Well, you left me with no choice. But then also knowing that there were young girls who were being touched and mistreated and that a lot of things were happening that I couldn't look myself in the mirror 
it just seemed like everything pointed in the direction of, well, okay, well, let's do this then. Um, But it wasn't a hard decision, but it was one of those where I wanted to make sure it was the right decision. Uh, Because as you know, working at a large law firm, it's thought ill-formed to ever sue in your own name. And so having to break that uh, barrier and to stand up, um, that was the most difficult part uh, because being an attorney is in my soul. And so that was the tough thing. No, I can definitely understand that. And it's, you know, it's ESPN, it's the major player. So, I mean, this was definitely, like I said, taking a lot of courage and just you were hoping to make a difference for others is, is even more of a testament to your character. You go through so much in the book and I just really, really encourage everybody like you, we were talking before we started, it's almost like a manual, yes. but gosh, there's so many things I want to say about it too, but it's like, I don't want to give it all away, but what led you to write the book? And I mean, whatever you want to share about the book. Well, I was in a position where I didn't see a lot of it coming. I also didn't realize, um, you know, cause I took things at face value. You want to assume that a company that gets so big and is so successful is running a professional organization and entity when that is not the case. Because again, I came from an ivory tower. And so I didn't want other people, particularly women, to go through what I went through. I wanted to give them the keys to the castle to walk them through, to make sure that they don't befall even the psychological trauma. Because research shows that if you are aware of what's going on in terms of you see the behavior, you know where it's coming from, and you know why it's happening, because the sociologists have made it very clear. So you're able to identify it. Then you actually do not suffer as many psychological issues in the aftermath when you know. Mm -hmm. And being able to provide people with the tools that they need to not only identify sexual harassment and to confront it, but to overcome it, it just seemed like the easy thing to do. Uh, Also, there was something I realized where everybody... Uh, any book that was out there was a, a memoir. And that's um, what's it going to uh, do for me? Like yeah. to hear about your story. Yeah, that's cute. But let's talk about what we can do to prevent it. How can I get out in front of this? How can I handle this situation? And that mm-hmm. was the part of me that said, I, we just, we need a manual and I'm good at explaining systems. So it all worked out. Oh my gosh, you're excellent at it. Oh, you guys, I, and I'm just talking to everybody like you guys, cause like they're part of this right now, but it's such a well-written, I, I love nonfiction and just self-help type books and things like this. So this is so up my alley, but I just really, really love the way that you broke everything down. I mean, you had the, the sports theme throughout, you had like time, just such a, um, an entertaining read in a very, very uh, relatable way of breaking everything down. And so it's an easy thing to get through, even if you're not experiencing it at the time, but it's just such a, a play by play. I mean, I don't know what other word there is for it as to like <laughs> how to recognize and spot things, because I thought it was really, really helpful the way you set the stage, because again, you might, if you have not really been in that situation, you know, you might not recognize sexual harassment when it's actually happening to you. And I really appreciated the way that you kind of set the stage for that to understand who the harass holes are, who they target, the, the different slide tactics. And you just call it out so well and in such plain kind of shit talking way, which I, I like. Uh, <laughs> thank you. Yeah, because I wanted to do something that was because I'm, I'm a complete and total nerd. I'm not, don't let any of this external stuff fool you. 
but I read studies for fun. And so one of the things that I learned and uh, have a strong suit at, um, especially being an on-air legal analyst, is being able to take very complex topics and make them interesting and engaging and relatable. And so I wanted to make this topic that tends to be pretty heavy, making it interesting, engaging and relatable. So, you know, coming up with the term harassholes and, you know, yeah. And keeping flair and flavor in the book, because the reality is this happens all the time, whether we want to acknowledge it or not. And so let's not pretend this is some crazy one-off, you know, put it on the mount. It's, you know, that kind of serious thing. Cause unfortunately, not to say it's not that serious, but it's just so common, common. Yes. that it just, why, why pretend, why act like it's, you know, that it's something super sensitive and whatnot when really people need to prepare for it. Yes. And say it plain. And just like, like you mentioned, just like the chapter where you broke down the different types of sexual harassers and the different ways that they go about it and like who they target and why. I mean, it's just such a, like I said, just an easy read. You're telling it like it is in plain, plain, straight English, but also just like some really complex topics uh, from a legal perspective that you break down really well for people to understand and just understanding the struggle and how to fight it. Like you said, how to overcome it. So I encourage everybody to pick this book up. It's, uh, it earned an award, right? The 2021 Business Book of the Year Award in Women and Minorities in Business category by Axiom. So congratulations. This is huge. Yeah, and it just picked up two international book awards uh, for business and another one for women. And so I'm I'm very proud of it uh, because it is a first of its kind. And so I'm really grateful to Penguin Mm -hmm. for stepping out there and biting on it because the reality is that no one's written anything like this, even though sexual harassment is completely and totally preventable. Even though yeah. we know good and well how it works and how it operates, no one's put anything out there like this. Everything's other, otherwise a legal manual or a memoir, as opposed to, hey, yo, this is how you handle this. And this is what it looks like, and this is what it's going to be. And yeah. so um, very, very fortunate that Penguin stepped up and said, yeah, I want this. Yes. And from the mechanics of it, like literally the, from the documentation to like, it's just so step-by-step. Step. You did not leave any stone un- unturned. Oh, and um, I really appreciate it too, um, Adrienne, just in your writing, all of the like, just the, the coaching and encouragement of who you, you know, trusting your instincts, knowing who you are, really kind of helping people to remember, like you earned your right to to exist in a workplace free of this crap. So, you know, kind of like reminding people that you don't deserve, you shouldn't have to just put up with this and deal with it. And I just really appreciated that, that hearing or reading that strength in the book, because you just kind of can hear someone in your ear coaching you through like, no, forget that. Like you did not go to school and invest all this money in, in your career and education to just accept this type of treatment in the workplace. Absolutely. And I love that place. I and love I, that place. I think we're in a society, and that's something I found at, out at ESPN. We're in this society where in workplaces, it's a thought that if you are a woman uh, or black or marginalized in any way, it's the you're lucky to be here. Yeah. And, and no, you are lucky to have me. And I also think that that was a big difference between me and the other women at ESPN that I was unwilling to tolerate the behavior and I wasn't just going to stand still and I was going to fight for them and push uh, for ESPN to do what was right 
because, oh no, you are lucky to have me. I'm good at my job. I am exceptional. And it's unacceptable that you are allowing these things to happen. And unfortunately, I just think there, there are just too many people out there and too much of a mindset where people feel like they have to entertain it. Yeah. It's not a crap. And did you experience like any just resistance, I would say, from women? Because I'm going to kind of pivot to pro cheerleading in this in a, in a few. But did you sense that women were supportive of you coming out and using your voice in that way? Or was it more like in private? I'm like, some people are reaching out and saying, thanks for saying something finally, you know, or, but not so much publicly. Like, how, absolutely. Was it was in private. In private. Absolutely. It was in private. And or they wouldn't even say it to me, it'd, it'd get back to me. Mm -hmm. um, and the thing is, is in my fight, it was extremely isolating. I had people lie on me. Mm -hmm. I, um, I had a lot of things go down that you can't fight them all. And it's not a good look to even try. So you can't mm -hmm. address anything. And some people have bigger platforms than you do, uh, especially like ESPN. And so when these people are lying on you and you have to just sit and take it, it takes a lot. And especially mm -hmm. in the world of social media where you can be attacked by just masses of people. And, you know, you end up like locking my accounts, being doxxed, all of the things that become essentially um, psychological hits. And mm -hmm. as much as I don't regret doing it, had I known what I was up against in advance, it would have just been a lot better. And so that's, you know, I have my chapter on, on mm -hmm. coming forward, handling media, the PR aspect of it. Again, because I would rather people know and also how to leverage the media than mm -hmm. to be in a situation where they are essentially blindsided like I was. Yeah, I don't want yeah. anybody to have that experience. This is just so, so, so interesting because everything that you're mentioning, and this is obviously related because it's in the sports realm as well, but it makes me obviously think about the Washington football team and the um, allegations uh, against their front office of sexual harassment and just really egregious behavior. And just when you think of the aftermath, I know that there were reports of him or Dan Snyder buying bots or some sort. I don't know, just to kind of change the narrative when women were starting to speak up about what was going on. So it's just really interesting to, because it is literally a pattern of behavior and like you, it, you literally are laying it out exactly what their moves are to kind of um, undermine you, especially when you are using your voice to speak up. So um, just getting through that, like you said, and giving some some guidance that would have been helpful because it's hard to protect yourself when you don't have ESPN pockets or, or NFL owner pockets, obviously, to combat some of this stuff. Bot farms to commission so that they can change the narrative on social media or condemn you. Yeah, that was one of my allegations in my lawsuit against ESPN because I could see it go on online. Mm -hmm. And it, mm -hmm. we're, we're just in a whole new world for when it comes to uh, attacking women who speak out. And yeah. it's like, you have to be ready for it. Absolutely. Gosh, and it's just like all of this to try to keep us quiet. It's just, mm -hmm. it's mind boggling. But I'm, I'm going to pivot to just bringing this to the pro cheerleading space. When you were moderating that panel discussion, did you have any certain, I guess, impressions or perspective of pro cheerleading and how these issues play out in this space? I did not have anything... Uh, preconceived that came to mind. I assumed there'd be considerable mm -hmm. sexual harassment because uh, you are working in a male-dominated industry. Also, um, 
the fact is you can just see it by virtue of what they make you wear that your role, you are athletes, but your role is ornamental. And mm -hmm. it is often a way to limit women and the low pay, the harsh working conditions and the double standards and mistreatment. Um, you know, it just, it really reflected a lot of the issues that I had researched and broken down in my book. And it seemed mm -hmm. like you all were definitely in an environment where it was, as I say, it's a sexual harassment hotbed yeah. without question. It's already mm -hmm. set up for it. So I have no doubt. And especially because it's such a subjective industry in terms of, oh, she didn't jump as high or I didn't, I didn't like the way she did the splits. She's done. She's mm -hmm. out, you know? Mm -hmm. So it essentially, it's, it's a perfect habitat for it without question. Yeah. Because if you're just using your voice or speaking up about something that we know that you know there's that little snip snip of getting cut and uh, missing out on opportunities um so in this space um just you know in the last few months you know with the washington football team and various articles that were coming out it's just definitely been a i think a challenge and i think in our space there are different reactions i would say for different um pro cheerleaders or different programs as to how they want to kind of change the perception of what being a pro cheerleader means or kind of trying to flip the dynamic a little bit I think because of the perception that men probably have of who pro cheerleaders are, there are some programs who are taking the approach of just trying to change our uniforms or cover up more or dance differently and things that kind of move away from what I think pro cheerleading used to be, um, things mm -hmm. that we did sometimes enjoy. The other flip of that is being a woman and just being respected in your own right in the way that you would normally be and, and hold yourself. Do you have like a anything that you speak to that. I'm sorry, that came out so all over the no, place. No, it's okay. But... Um, let me see if I can address what I think you're asking. So, uh, although I, I picked up on two issues, one of them would be kind of like, mm -hmm. how do you navigate the situation in terms of should you fight a certain way or respond in a particular way if you're in those circumstances? And as someone who's still in mm -hmm. workplaces um, and engaging with other professionals, the reality is that workplace sexual harassment will still happen. And it'll even still happen to me as the writer of the book. And there are probably instances where I actually harass other people too, accidentally or not knowing it. And so what I do with that is I generally will give people grace. And when I say that, I mean, I do my best to gauge was this intentional? And I also will approach it from, I don't need to file a lawsuit for everyone. I got that. Sometimes people are acting out the social norms that they've been taught as in they need to appear more masculine. So maybe they make a comment to me. I assess based on their personality, how are they coming at me? Uh, are they coming at me as a true place of insecurity or are they reflecting our social norms? And I try my best to assess it. And if we hit a point where I can tell you are now trying to be dominant over me, and whether it's sexualizing or gender harassment, then I'll cut you off at the knees. And I'll let you know, you know, no, this isn't, it's not acceptable. You know, I, I see yeah. the behavior you're engaging in. It's not okay. And I have, uh, since ESPN, I've had to walk away from high profile roles and jobs that I, people considered, oh my gosh, I can't believe, you know, you're back in the industry at such a high level because I'm unwilling to tolerate certain behavior. And I always, as you get the tone of my book, I always like to definitely impress upon people that as long as you are true to yourself, like the universe aligns, it does. Like I couldn't be happier. Mm -hmm. I love the work I do. I love the people I work with.
And as much as sometimes I've been in positions where I've mourned dreams, the reality is it was never a dream. It was a nightmare. And mm -hmm. so when you realize that not everything is an opportunity and that there are some places where it will not only destroy and eat at your peace, but it will not fulfill you, then you do need to walk away. It's okay mm -hmm. to stand up and to draw the line and to Simone Biles it and say, I'm not doing this. Yeah, I'm good. I'm not doing this. I'm going to take care of me. I'm going to put me first. And I honestly believe that I have, I think that's what kind of gets me quote unquote in trouble or gets me a name uh, for myself because mm -hmm. people know I won't tolerate it. I will not take it. I will not let you sit there and wildly disrespect me. Like mm -hmm. that, as far as I'm concerned, is not considering um, what paying your dues. No, no. Abuse no. is not dues. I can't help you with that. Um, and so knowing who you are and what you stand for goes a long way and how you handle people. It, it's whatever you're comfortable with. Um, but I am cognizant of it. And again, but also too, having written a book on sexual harassment, everybody knowing that. So if somebody sexually mm -hmm. harasses me, I do have the upper hand as in, I know yes. what it is and I know how to handle it, which is why I definitely give people more grace, but, um, not everybody has that, which is definitely why I suggest, you know, like the tools and the tricks of trade that I, I put in my book. Mm -hmm. um yeah for sure i like the idea of like you said i mean it's like you'll get i won't even say past like you said grace and then it's like and then you'll just have to be put in your place i think there's just so much strength in knowing what your line is and what your truth is and sticking to that and you know speaking about like the industry shifting or different programs changing to kind of it's not as though it's going to make harassment go away or or disrespect in that manner of, well, if men want to look at you in a certain light, no matter what you do, that's how they're going to try to look yep. at you and, and try to treat you accordingly. Would you have any, I guess, advice to, like, if you're on a pro cheerleading team, if you've experienced any, you know, in the context of your employment appearances, working with staff, a front office, I mean, whoever it might be, a situation where you're uncomfortable I know the advice is all in the book, so people will definitely need to pick it up. But what would you, what would you say? If people are uncomfortable, um, yeah, I definitely say get the book. Um, yeah. yeah, because the reality is that a lot of the journey and ride will just be documentation. It's being able to identify the behavior, to document it, and to be mentally sound and prepared. Um, mm -hmm. And one of the things I think is one of the strongest things in the book is to tell you to how, to, how to identify uh, a sexual harassment hotbed. So when you're interviewing, when you're deciding where to go, where are you going to be, you can kind of sniff and be able to sense, no, this isn't going to be a safe environment for me. I can just look at a board of directors and tell you how the company is going to operate. I can mm -hmm. do that easily. And so giving people those tools is so strong. But I do understand that in pro cheerleading, you have a limited range of options. Um, mm -hmm. And I'm sure there's a lot of things that are outside of your hands. And it might be the reality, too, that a lot of the uh, opportunities are based on your personality, how well you are going to, I guess, stroke someone's ego and make them feel all excited and stuff like that. And mm -hmm. as much as you, like, you shouldn't have to do that, that's not okay. At the same time, you have to decide where the line is for you. But I think it's essential to make sure you document things because it can easily go from, oh, well, you know, I know I had to flirt with him to, you know, get him to give me my, my car keys um, to something that could be violent 
or mm -hmm. um, easily essentially irreversible in terms of the impact it'll have on your life. Absolutely. And I think it's important for people who are listening also to understand, too, that this may not be in your role as a pro cheerleader, but I think that in your real job, your day job, where people know that you are a pro cheerleader and making certain assumptions as to what that could mean in terms of their chances dating you and things like that, I think it might even be more common to experience inappropriate behavior from people that you work with in your real job, not so much like maybe on a professional team, um, but just recognizing those comments that are inappropriate and feeling comfortable addressing that because I think uh, I could see there's plenty of room for that if you're in swimsuit calendars or they're seeing you out there in the public in a certain way and possibly making unwelcome comments and hopefully nothing more serious than that. But I think it's just, again, uh, picking up the book and just kind of at least understanding the various examples that you give throughout as to what this looks like, how it shows up, so that you can just be aware. Because it's just, it's not slick, like the way you call it out, especially, it's like, it's, there's no, we don't have to pretend this doesn't happen. But it's really easy to be like, dang, I put up with a lot of crap that I maybe could have and should have checked, which shouldn't have been acceptable, especially at work. So yeah, uh, and people really, they really like to, I find as I identify those um, 10 NSFW, not safe for work coworkers, uh, you know, mm -hmm. there some of them, they really believe that it's part of paying your dues to be yeah. uh, sexually or um, subjugated or subject to gender harassment. And it's, it's wild to me, the mentality of many individuals out there um, and you'll, you'll think this person's your friend, but no, they actually think it's okay for you to be subject to that behavior. And yeah. it is, it's just wild to me. So many people. And that, yeah. And that came out in your book too. I think, especially in terms of other women, like that is what drives me crazy. I think when it's kind of this idea that, or it comes with the territory of being pretty or beautiful, like kind of like, oh, that's just part and parcel for, you know, like you said, paying your dues or the way that it's played down, I think is just so really just mind blowing. And the fact that it might be women that are kind of just trying to convince you that it's nothing really for you to push back on or just that it, it happens. And, and yeah. we also have to realize that there are women out there who benefit from it because, you know, they're master sexual uh, harassers or seductresses. And, mm -hmm. and they prefer the system set up as it is because they've been able to mm -hmm. leverage it. So they don't want it to go away because then, you know, then they'd have to actually, you know, rest on their own laurels. They'd actually have to do the job or figure something out in a way so that they can manipulate the system. And yeah. so they don't want you to fight the fight. No, they spent too many years figuring out yeah, how to master it. Yeah, that's so true. So true. You were dropping so many dang on gems. I really just want to thank you, Adrian, for, you know, sharing your experience and just all of this helpful information. I think there's for anybody who's like leaving college. I just think this is yes. a book that you just have you read through and then you just if you're dealing with anything, it's kind of like a reference manual. You're like, oh, my gosh, I have a book that addresses this and I can go to it and I can get the play by play as to how to deal with it. It's something that I think if Back when I thought I wanted to pursue a role in sports business, not necessarily becoming an agent, but definitely working with professional athletes, 
I was navigating a lot at a very young age. And if there was something like this, and I probably would have absolutely picked it up just because of the context around sports, especially, I would have felt a lot more comfortable fighting, especially when you don't have that leverage. If you're like an intern or you are trying to get, you know, break into this area and it's super, super competitive. Like, I think I would have probably navigated differently. I thought I was just going to blow up and explode one day. And I decided to walk because of my line and my level of respect. And I just thought, this is, this can't be, I can't be dealing with this on a day-to-day basis of whether I'm cussing somebody out or not, or how do I constantly push back against different advances coming my way, either from the athletes that we were working with or just people in the, it was just too much. And I think I I walked away from it. You talk about that in your book too. It's like one of the things that often happens to women that have been harassed in the workplace is that they end up leaving. It, it might affect the different types of jobs that they're taking. They may pick a different career path, one where you think that you won't maybe experience that. And that is definitely really, really unfortunate. It turns people away from pursuing their dreams. And that's not something that should be happening at all. Yep. People leave the workplace, their trajectory, mm-hmm. ability to make money, be independent, economically, all of these things are interrupted by sexual harassment. And that's how it is intended. It's people wanting to push you out of the workplace to make you play small because you don't adhere to traditional gender norms and you don't know your place, or you don't also adhere to the traditional uh, racial hierarchy. Um, We're seeing a lot of that as our conversations are changing in the media um, and people having Mm -hmm. these conversations. And so we have to realize that people use all sorts of conduits to get you to comply, so to speak. And they'll use whatever they can. And oftentimes it's sexual harassment that they use. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, you broke it down like no other. And I just thank you for sharing your journey and sharing so much in this book. It happens in every industry and every type of job for sure. And pro is no different. So thanks for sharing your expertise with us today. Thank you. I appreciate the opportunity to talk about it. And also knowing that being able to share as a resource with what what I would say would be a vulnerable population. It's important. Yeah. Where can people find your book? I ordered mine from Amazon. Yes. So it is on Amazon as well as Penguin. You can, you can buy it anywhere books are sold. Um, Mm -hmm. Any major sales place, local bookstore, whatnot. Uh, but I can definitely guarantee that you will not be disappointed. It is fun. No, you live and engaging. <laughs> it's so engaging. You can hear your voice talking in the book, which I love. Everybody says that to me. I um, love it. And it was interesting too. I wrote a piece for the Harvard Business Review and this man had read my book and it was an older white man. And I wasn't mm-hmm. sure how he, he, he loved it. He thought it was fantastic. Yeah. And he was one of my first like reviewers and, and that made me feel like I did it. I did it right. Definitely. Oh, you sure yeah. did. He found I mean, I, just good. listening to the way that you break it down too. I'm like, I could read a book on pretty much, you name a topic just with that. <laughs> the <laughs> oh, way I, I talk about things. My good. mother was so, she was like, I cannot believe you wrote that. But it was good. It was funny. <laughs> I love True. it. yes 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 from the slang I mean it's on it it's just so on it on point and like I said you could write a book about pretty much anything cooking dating like I would read it just because your voice is great writing style I loved it oh thank you I really really (laughs) appreciate that I truly do I would be following your work and then can you tell people where they can find you too in terms of your your commentary as a legal analyst and just different things 
So I am a regular contributor to the young on the Young Turks. Uh, also, mm-hmm. you can find me on social media on Instagram at Adrian Lawrence, on Twitter at Adrian Law. And can I ask? Well, yeah. I'm kind of rapping, but I did um, an episode with a few Asian cheerleaders where we were just talking about their experience in pro cheer. But just with some of the anti-racism training that you've done, can you just yes. can you talk about what was it I was looking at? that you were recognized by Forbes for your work in dismantling um, anti-Asian um, bias wow. in the workplace. Can you just talk a little bit about that work? I would just, sure. because we just talked about that on the episode. Sure. Um, so uh, that one in particular was a partnership that I did uh, with a sister organization, Hate is a Virus. Um, one of my good friends oh, yes. is a okay. founder, um, Tammy Cho. She's doing exceptional work there. And so when essentially knowing that the Asian hate crimes had risen, people need to understand what Asian bias looks like, especially in professional environments, because Asians are Mm -hmm. often the ignored invisible minority. And when people don't realize that there are comments that they make and people are very dismissive of those comments, but they are racist. They are, Mm -hmm. um, you know, they are denigrating, they're, they're marginalizing, they're not okay. And so to break down to people and to call things out so people will start to understand that their behavior is racist, it's so incredibly important for eliminating these us-them narratives that are what fuel the hate crimes. It fuels the bias. It's the otherness that is what essentially feeds these ways of engaging in violence or perpetuating uh, hate against Asian uh, American members of our communities. And so we need people to be, they need to be educated and they need to be informed on forms of bias that they hold and often demonstrate because it is leading to greater harm. Yeah, absolutely. For sure. And just like, just again, things that happen in the workplace, we're not even talking about like in people's homes or with their families, but just what carries over into a professional work environment that absolutely should not, it should not be anywhere, but, you know, especially at work and all the subtle microaggressions and just, just bias. And it, it, like you said, it has much more serious impacts in communities when it gets down to these hate crimes. So I, I just really appreciated seeing that in your work, just because we were just talking about it on the podcast. So we have to yeah. be allies and we have to be accomplices and co-conspirators mm-hmm. to each other because we're all in this together. We truly are. And we need Absolutely. people to recognize that. Absolutely. Well, you're doing such amazing work, Adrian, and it's a pleasure seeing you again. It was, like I said, you left such an impression after that panel. And um, again, I'm just very honored to have you here. So thank you so much. Oh, thank you for having me. Thanks so much for listening to the Pro Cheerleading Podcast. You can follow your favorite podcast on social media at Pro Cheerleading Podcast on Instagram, at Pro Cheer Podcast on Twitter. We're on Facebook, on YouTube, and you can support your favorite podcast on Patreon. Until next time, keep your eyes on the sidelines.